and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast, conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi and I am your host. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support it in a number of ways. Number one, it's free and it helps enormously. It's just to subscribe to this podcast. Hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. Number two, tell your friends, family and buddies at the lineup that you love this podcast. This helps me reach more people and increase my ranking. And number three, support my podcast by purchasing some merch. You can take a look at the Ocean Riders shop online. It's the Ocean Riders shop all in one word dot com and find some really nice T-shirts and hoodies, greeting cards and even some wall art. Links to it are in the show notes. One percent of my sales are actually donated to one percent for the planet and this year i am donating everything to wires new south wales to help wildlife recover from the bushfires in australia anyway that's housekeeping out of the way and time to introduce you to my guest today i'm really excited to introduce you to melanie bernard melanie is from germany and she's a journalist and a writer by trade as she joined me today to talk about her book, The Surf Trip Survival Guide, that she wrote with her husband. It's a terrific compilation of tips for surfers to actually stay alive or out of harm during a surf trip. And it's riddled with fun and not so fun real life stories of how a surf trip could go potentially wrong and how to fix things up if they do. Anyway, Melanie is originally a journalist from one of the biggest surfing magazines in Germany and is now established near Osgore, where she's living the dream as a freelance journalist and writer. In this conversation, we go through what, what the book is all about, how she managed to get it off the ground, her lifestyle in France and her passion for surfing, writing and bretzels. Anyway, uh, when I got in touch with Melanie, it was on a feed on the Women Who Surf Facebook group where people were exchanging about how to surf when you're pregnant. In fact, Melanie surfed until her seventh month and I was curious also to find out how she did it and why she stopped. In fact, you'll be surprised by her answer. Anyway, Melanie's got some great advice for young mothers who want to keep the stoke alive after the baby is born. So without further ado, please welcome Melanie Bernard. Hello, Melanie, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? Hey, Amelia, I'm very fine. Thank you. And you? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. It's a lovely winter's day over here in France. And I'm just really, really stoked to meet you and to talk about your book. So I guess before we start, maybe you could introduce yourself to the listeners. All right. My name's Melanie. I'm 39 years old. I'm originally from Germany, uh, from a little village in the mountains in the very south of Germany. And uh, yeah, I moved to France almost 10 years ago in order to, to be able to go surfing every day, actually. <laughs> that was my motivation. <laughs> That's fantastic. And actually, I saw that you used to surf the Eisbach River. Now, could you tell us a bit more about what that's like? Yes, I love the Eisbach River. <laughs> well, I started surfing at the ocean and at the Eisbach at the same time. So <laughs> you don't know how to surf the ocean in order to surf a river wave. So it's an <laughs> artificial Oh, well, no, it's not an artificial wave. Actually, it's a natural standing wave in the middle of Munich. It wasn't far from university, so I always went there during university. And it's uh, about 10 meters wide and maybe chest hip to chest high. It's a part of the river Isar, which is flowing through Munich. And 
There are some stones underneath and uh, yeah, well, it's creating that natural artificial wave. Yeah, static wave. Yeah. I was in Munich a few weeks ago and I actually went there on purpose sort of did a pilgrimage and saw these guys. And what was quite amazing was the way they have to jump on their boards and it just goes. And that must be really technical. It is. I mean, I never used to jump on my board. I always sat on the side and you can also do that. Just sat on the side, put your board on the wave and then stand on it and do your first turns. Yeah. But yeah, I was always a little bit scared because it's all concrete. The walls are all concrete. And back in the days, I mean, it was 15 years ago or 17 years ago, I started surfing there. There weren't that many technically good surfers. There were a few surfers who used to jump on their boards, but it was not the norm. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, the level just progressed so much. And all of them are now jumping on their boards and uh, <laughs> doing crazy tricks and airs. And it's it's really amazing to see, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I was quite surprised to see uh, you really do need to know how to turn on a surfboard because otherwise you're yeah. sort of shooting straight into the wall opposite. So it's, yeah, it's yeah, very technical. Exactly. Yeah, it's quite dangerous as well. There yeah. are some rocks underneath. So when you fall and you get um, pushed into the washing machine, as we call it, a little part of white water behind the wave, mm -hmm. uh, you can get thrown at the rocks underneath the wow. water. Wow. So you should know how to surf a river wave um, when you're wanting to give it a try there. <laughs> and there yeah. were already a lot of pro surfers giving it a try. Oh, and really? they have a hard time too. So <laughs> in the beginning, it's quite unusual because the water is coming towards you. And not yes. pushing from behind. So it's, yes. the visuals are quite different to, of to the ocean. Of course. That's, but it's so much fun. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> I still love it. It's brilliant. Sorry, we're getting a bit diverged from the whole subject, which is actually your book, which is called The Surf Trip Survival Guide. And I really would like to thank you for sending it to me because I had a great read. I just wanted to know, I love the way you put it, like it starts where the Storm Rider Guide ends. And could you sort of describe what this book is all about? All right, yeah. I mean, as you said, it, it starts where the Storm Rider Guide ends. So the Storm Rider Guide, which is a fantastic book, gives you all those dream destinations where to travel to as a surfer. But we were kind of wondering, there's no book really, like there can be a lot of stuff going wrong on surf trips. You get skunked, you, you get injured, you, your boat sinks or whatever. <laughs> That's like the worst case, of course. But there's a lot of little things that can happen to you while on a surf trip. And with, it, with our book, we wanted to give it a little guideline, like a little help to what to do when, for example, when you got a fin cut, how to disinfect the wound um, correctly, because a lot of people don't know that in warm waters in the tropics, there's a lot of bacteria in the water. So you, you really have to, to take care of yourself or how to wipe out correctly. Well, not correctly, <laughs> but there are some tricks and bits. But it's not only really useful tips, for example, what to do when a shark is uh, approaching you. There's also some tips about that, um, <laughs> if you still have the chance to, to react. Um, also some funny stuff, which is not too serious. For example, when you're getting in a bar fight, how to, you know, <laughs> be the strongest, what to, how to surf with a hangover, what kind of cures can you take uh, to, yeah. to still be able to surf. So it's a funny yet useful little little book yeah it's really really cool and i love the way you sort of treat it by subject so yeah you've got the bar fight sort of thingies and then you've got 
female problems and then, you know, all sorts of travel, travel yeah. stories. Finding the perfect surf bikini isn't that easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I love the way you've also interviewed a lot of very um, prominent sort of influencers in terms of surfing and who've had an am amazing stories. It's like uh, there was one that really, really sort of clicked in my mind was the guy uh, Xavier Rosset, who spent 300 days stranded on an island. Now, how did you actually get to interview these people? First, we collected all those ideas, what could be like useful for for the book, what to write about in the book. And then we, both journalists, my husband and I, so we know how to find out stuff, how to find out people. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we heard about Xavier because he used to be a professional snowboarder. So uh, we heard about his project while doing some research on the Internet. And we just contacted him and uh, asked him if he would be up to, to give us a little interview about his adventure on that island. And even though he's not a surfer, you know, as a surfer, it could happen it could to use, you. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> it already happened to some people that boats sank and they had to swim to the next island. And Xavier was giving useful tips how to find water, how to make your first fire, how difficult it is, how to build a shelter and stuff like that. So um, it was really interesting to, to talk to, <laughs> to people like him. Yeah, it was beautiful. It's really good. And you got Led Hamilton on there and you've got all sorts of other really famous, famous surfers and adventurers. It's a great read. And um, I guess it's you. what you should put in your backpack before you go off for a surf trip. Definitely. <laughs> so Melanie, how did you guys come up with the idea of the book? Well, it was a very personal story um, that led to, to the whole idea because uh, we were on a surf trip to Bali with one of our best friends. And on the very last day, he uh, cut his leg on his fin. It wasn't very deep uh, cut. It was, well, maybe 10 centimeters and not too deep. But, well, it was bleeding. And uh, he made the mistake that he didn't disinfect the wound properly. He was like, ah, oh, it's just a small scratch, you know. And he went surfing again. And um, the next morning, he woke up. His leg was almost double the size. It was uh, on the shin. And it was almost double the size and he had fever and he was really not feeling very well. But we had to take the flight back to Munich. And he was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. So we get him some painkillers from the pharmacy, went into the airplane. During the flight, he almost passed out. He got huh? really high fever. His leg was swollen. A flight attendant touched him by accident and he was freaking out because it was so painful. And then uh, we landed in Frankfurt and had to take another flight to Munich and he couldn't even walk in Frankfurt. So to the next terminal, we had to um, carry him in the wheelchair and he was really bad. And so when we landed in Munich, we went straight to the hospital with him. And I think one week later, he got a new heart valve. What? Because, yes. And uh, because the bacteries went to his heart and, um, you wow. know kind of damaged the heart so badly they had to put in an artificial valve wow. and uh, that actually led to he's all fine now so yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that showed us that a tiny mistake or just a you know sometimes you don't know much about stuff like that and you don't pay attention but traveling to remote destinations tropical destinations also means there are some dangers which in europe we normally don't have yeah. and in warm water there are a lot of bacteria so yeah. um <gasps> shit can happen yes 
So we said, why why don't we have to learn from our own mistakes if you could learn from other mistakes? Yeah. So we tried to, you know, write up little stories that already happened or that could happen. And uh, his story is also part of the book. And then we, we show the reader how to really disinfect yeah. the wound properly, <laughs> <laughs> what to do. And so, Yeah, that's yeah. really important. In fact... When my kids were little and we'd go traveling to tropical, we went to Costa Rica a couple of times and we went to Bali, obviously. And yeah, our biggest sort of concern was having enough, like the whole first aid kit ready just in case something happened and the disinfectant and the topical antibiotic cream and, you know, all sorts of little things like that. But you do it for your kids, but you don't necessarily think about it for yourself. And that's the danger. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that's a really, really important story for people to sort of think about. And Hopefully it will never happen. But, yes. Uh, as it says in our book, better be ready when the shit goes down. <laughs> Fantastic. And according to your experience of writing the book, what is the greatest risk for a surfer? Oh, ah, that's a difficult question, actually. The greatest risk, well, the obvious would be probably a shark attack, even though it doesn't happen very often. So yeah. the chances are quite low that you would get attacked by a shark. But as a kid, I was always so scared of sharks, and I still am, even though it got better with the, with the surfing. So mm-hmm. I'm not that, like when I started surfing, I said I will never surf somewhere where there could be possibly sharks. And now, uh, well, I went to Indonesia, I surfed <laughs> there. We went to Taiwan where they caught the biggest great white shark oh uh, in history. So, um, <laughs> well, I think you, you just see the waves and then you don't care about um, the other yeah. stuff um, anymore. But um, getting back to your question, I would probably say sharks. Or for me, it's not a very obvious uh, <laughs> I must say out of all the sort of things that go wrong I must have sort of lived at least 10 of them like you know getting treading on a stingray or tre- oh, getting yeah. stung by oh, jellyfish yeah. or uh, all sorts of things like that so there's little risks but they are quite painful yeah, yeah. those are the daily risks yeah or getting cheated when you're buying a surfboard something like that yeah, or, or money changer yeah yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we try to cover also all, all of these little worries in our book. It was great. So to rewind a bit, how did you actually sort of get into writing in the first place? Well, it all started, I think, during university. Um, I studied uh, in Munich and after school, I have to say I was a little bit lost. I didn't know what to do, what to study. I didn't want to become a lawyer or a doctor. So I, I didn't have any idea. And then a friend before, so I was just taking on some economic courses just to do something. And I hated it. So <laughs> friend then told me, well, maybe you could do an internship at a magazine. You like to read, you like to write. Maybe that could be something that you like. So I applied for, for an internship at a city magazine in Munich, which was quite popular back in the days, which had everything. Um, they wrote about parties and what's happening in the city, about sports and all kind of stuff. And uh, I really liked it. So I knew, oh, wow, that's really what I would like to do. And then I did a test at a journalism school in Munich, a really famous one, and I failed. And I was really <laughs> desperate. So uh, I was, oh, no, so I'm not meant to be a journalist. Well, I was lost again. And then one of the editors at the magazine I was doing the internship at, 
she told me that she had studied American cultural history. And that was quite interesting as a subject and that I wouldn't need to study journalism to become a journalist. Mm. So she wanted to show me alternative ways um, how to get there, that I should stick with the internship and maybe apply as a freelancer afterwards and, and do my studies besides. And actually, yeah, I really liked the idea. So I started um, my studies for American cultural history and literature and politics. And I just continued working for the magazine right. besides my studies, besides university. And one thing uh, happened <laughs> to the next. So uh, there were some more projects, journalistic projects, some other magazine I, I worked for. And that's what I did during my, my whole university time. Yeah, and after university... Again, I was lost because it's not very easy to find a job as a journalist for a magazine, mm -hmm. to find a real job. And I did an internship at a men's magazine, FHM. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know that kind of magazine. And I really I liked the work. It's hard to say, but I didn't really, I, it was not my passion to write about stuff mm. they published in their magazine. So they offered me a job, but I uh, denied. I said, no, I don't want to. And everyone, everyone <laughs> called me crazy. You know, that's a real job and you're going to earn a lot of money. And I said, yeah, but it's not my thing. I'm not happy every morning I'm going to work. I don't want to spend time with people that are nice, but that don't live my passion and that I cannot really talk about you know yeah yeah and some weeks later my uh, then boyfriend which is now my husband well he saw a magazine that uh, we're looking in a newspaper he saw that a magazine a snowboard magazine was looking for an editor german editor and it was on board and that was the magazine of my childhood oh I my used God. To mountains and i read on board which was the biggest magazine back in the days mm -hmm. and they were looking for a german editor and i applied and i got the job Excellent. And I was super stoked. I didn't earn much, but it was enough for my first job. And yeah, well, from then on, it kind of went always in the same direction. Yeah. So today it's your full-time job to write for one of the biggest surfing magazines. Well, it's a German. Now I'm working for a German surf magazine. Mm -hmm. I left on board after three years because I was a little bit tired of traveling all the time. And right. I decided to become a freelancer again because uh, I just felt that was my uh, passion and Yeah, now I'm doing freelance projects. Um, I'm working for Prime Surfing, biggest surf magazine in Germany. Besides, I'm still publishing my own books and uh, I'm doing some translations as well for companies and writing texts and Excellent. so all kind of stuff. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So you actually get to surf in, you know, Osgore and Cap Breton and all that and a living, which is so cool. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what do you have to do to actually sort of write a book because it's a very long process do you have a process or do you have a kind of routine that you apply every day to actually work on projects how do you sort of manage that it's difficult i mean in the beginning it's the idea you need yeah. to have yeah. an idea you really you're burning for you're putting all your passion and energy in because i'm doing it together with my husband it's a lot easier because i'm not by myself mm -hmm. um, we have a little office here um, in our house And so we make a plan. First, you have to know how big the book will be, how many chapters, how many pages, how many stories do you need. And then we just go step by step, really. We try mm -hmm. to write a little story every day. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't because, uh, <laughs> well, some stories are a little bit more complicated. Is that what you mean? With yes, exactly. Kind of and, and, and so how long did it take for you to get that sort of inception idea 
to the day it kind of launched and was online or was, you know, you could buy it online? I think from the idea to the point where we started writing, it took maybe two months to really find out, can we do this? How can we do it? How do we publish it? Um, Stuff like that. And then really the process of writing was about three to four months, I would say. And yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And then afterwards, you sort of brought in the the illustrator and all that together. And what kind of self-publishing outlets did you use for the book? To be honest, there isn't a big idea behind that. We just that, well, we have a little bit of money aside. Uh So we put that in the book and just look for a printer. Right. Well, yeah, that was it, actually. Uh And then we all did it, I think, uh, learning by doing, I guess. Because what I have to say before um, we did our first book, um, we already published um, three books, I think, together with a publishing house. So we were paid as writers. We gave them the idea, but we were also paid as writers, you know, to finish the book. Mm -hmm. But that was it. So after Mm -hmm. it was finished, we had handed in our texts. Um, We didn't have any control about the books anymore. And we found it kind of sad because you (laughs) you live for that project. You really put a lot of passion and the the whole writing and so we wanted to do it by ourselves to really approach the right shops to you know to do all the retail as well by ourselves yeah that's a difficult part if you're not used to to sales and distribution and everything that must be very very difficult and what actually sort of kept you going when you wanted to give up was there any moments during the writing that you sort of thought oh god this is no 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 i don't think so no there was no because we i think it's it's really easy because we are two yeah there's two of us um so no there was no giving well sometimes i have to say because uh, my husband and i we are very different in our writing he's very rational and for him it's easier to write a text because he's very structured and i'm more the emotional writer so for me sometimes it's hard to uh, to not lose the focus <laughs> and I could go on and on when I'm talking about one subject so sometimes we had our little fights or he would say oh I am I didn't like that text very much and I would go like why why don't you like my text and started crying oh, no. and he's like why are you crying it's just a job you know <laughs> and I took it very personal so there were some moments <laughs> which were a little bit tense but uh, I never thought about giving up because right. we always knew it's a good idea. I think it's going to succeed and uh, we're going to sell our little book. Uh-huh. And that's what happened, actually. Yeah. yeah. And so where is it available now? It's available on our website, mm-hmm. the Surf Trip Survival Guide, and also in retail stores all over the world, actually. We mm-hmm. have like the English version we have in Bali, for example, at uh-huh. the famous Drifter Shop. Drifter Shop, yeah. <laughs> yes, we are very stoked about that. And uh, we even had a whole package sent to Australia. There are some books there. And we have a retailer, for example. No, sorry, not a retailer. We have a distributor in England. So we are available in, in some um, surf shops in England as well. Excellent. And it's funny, some of my friends, sometimes when they're going on a trip, they're sending me pictures. Um, <laughs> they see our book in, in one of the shops saying, oh, I just saw your book. <laughs> and that makes us really happy. Oh, that's wonderful. And so what would be your best advice to somebody who's planning on writing a book? you know sort of make it a success and to be able to get it to all the outlets i think the idea is the most important so if you find a 
topic that is really unusual that you feel that hasn't been there yet mm -hmm. i think that's a good start so Brilliant. maybe that would be my first advice i mean now with the crowdfunding it's not that difficult i think anymore to to publish a book you know we invested a few thousand euros Mm -hmm. in order to print our book and you know that's kind of a risk because you yeah. don't know if if you will succeed and if the book will sell mm -hmm. but i think now with crowdfunding websites you have a great tool to to actually follow your dream and and just give it a try yeah and yeah, um, yeah i think you just have to stick to your dream and uh, when you're really convinced i think you will succeed <laughs> that's brilliant advice and is there any sort of bootstrapping tips that you'd have I mean or software that you use or something that could sort of make life easier for a writer in terms of either promotion or writing or page setup or sorts of things like that oh I'm really bad and stuff like that I'm <laughs> so old school <laughs> I'm really happy when I'm when I can use my computer my Mac and just uh, be able to use a bird or pages yeah But, well, we had to use InDesign for sure yes, like right. for the, to do all the, the layout. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, I fear I don't really have uh, any <laughs> good advice for... I just need to create the content, I guess. You just yeah. need to sort of punch it out and be consistent and, and be motivated and have like that goal of the book. Yeah, That's really interesting. And so how did that kind of transpire with your job at the major surfing magazine in Germany? Was that convenient to actually have all the contacts to like all the famous people that had surf stories to tell? I started my job at Prime Surfing after we had published the book. Okay, so okay. I just started that job in 2016. Right. So, and the book we published uh, already in 2011, already wow. a long time ago. Wow. And so, not really. Well, I already wrote some uh, articles for German magazines about some surfers before, about professional surfers. So you have all these contacts to PR departments or, yeah. you know, how to contact people. So for sure, that already helped. <laughs> We had a little bit of experience in how to approaching people and how to writing articles. Right. And in terms of actually sort of the magazine industry, what is your sort of feeling on the on the status of the magazine industry right now? Is there still a kind of, is paper and print still something that's working in Germany, for example? Or do you notice any changes, any shifts? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. Onboard is not existent. Really? So uh, they shut down all the magazines. So if you're biggest European surf magazine, it's not anymore. So I guess the print industry has a hard, has a very tough time at the moment. And the same for Germany. I mean, Normally, German surfers soak in all kind of surf culture, surf literature, stuff like that, because they are so far off the ocean. Mm -hmm. But it's not that you're lacking readers, it's that uh, you're lacking advertising. Right. Because without advertising, you cannot um, publish a magazine. Yeah. And I think that's the hard um, point about it, because all the companies are not doing that good anymore. The surf industry is really down at the moment, I would say. Mm -hmm. Or at least they're not advertising in, in print magazines. Yeah, they haven't got the budgets anymore. I would say print is still alive and is still a really important um, medium. Mm -hmm. uh, people love reading books, people love reading magazines, having, you know, surf images on paper yeah. are so much better than just on screen so uh, i think it's never it's never dying mm -hmm. magazines but it's it's hard if you really want to make a living out of it yeah i'd say so yeah 
So if you're good at writing, there are outlets in journalism, but you have to sort of have several sort of trades and skills that yeah. you could uh, barter for. Yeah, I think only relying on surf journalism or writing for surf magazines, um, I think doesn't pay your bills, unfortunately. Yeah. And you were saying earlier that Onboard magazine actually made you travel a lot. So do you do the yeah. same for the surfing magazines too? Does it, Do they make you travel a lot? Uh, kind of, not that uh, much anymore, I have to say, because we are living right at the coast. So um, we don't have the necessity anymore to really <laughs> travel. We used to travel a lot back in the days, but now I, I also have a little boy of three years old. And it's getting a little bit more difficult to travel. Mm -hmm. But I've also been to Hawaii for for a story or uh, we traveled to Taiwan and to surf there, Indonesia. Of course, we are still traveling, but uh, not as much anymore, yeah. unfortunately. But I think that will come back. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's really interesting. But it's great advice for anybody who's sort of thinking about you know, want to be a surf journalist or a, a magazine journalist to know that there are the limits to that kind of job and the challenges the magazines face today. So yeah, that's really interesting. I guess moving on to your experience with surfing. So could you tell us what you felt when you caught your first wave in the ocean? Yes, I still remember it very, very well. Yeah. My first green wave was in Portugal uh -huh. on a holiday trip with my now husband, Bernie. And wow, I was so stoked. It was uh, just the best feeling ever. <laughs> I mean, every surfer can probably relate to that feeling. And just the fact that I still remember that one wave, which was tiny. and <laughs> Really, uh, it was not a very good surfing day. It just proves that. <laughs> well, the beginning is hard, I would say. Well, the first two trips, because we were still living in Germany back mm -hmm. then, mm -hmm. we could only surf when going on holidays. So the first two holidays trips, I was really desperate. And, you know, you're only there for two weeks, three weeks. You don't get really much, much practice. And I was desperate. I was crying at the beach and uh, really frustrated that I'm not able to, you know, surf. And then it just clicked, I guess. And from that moment on, I just felt pure joy every time I was paddling out and, and trying to progress every with every session. Oh, that's terrific. That's really cool. Yeah. And from that moment on, also my life kind of changed. Because yeah, because you just moved. Uh, that's what I really want to do and couldn't imagine a life without surfing anymore. And uh, <laughs> And how was the transition to the French culture? Because there's quite a sort of culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's different. It's different to Germany, but in a, in a positive way, I would say. I would say my life in Munich was very stressed, very intense, very uh, driven by... Uh, consume by uh, you know going out consuming looking for a good job earning money paying your rent which is horrific in Munich <laughs> and um, moving to France I would say I don't want to generalize but I would say here down here in that region and um, that the people are way more relaxed it's more about living with your friends with your family it's a uh, Food is very important, cooking, <laughs> you know, being outside at the beach. Of course, a good example is, for example, that Germans are very on time. You Normally, you, you would arrive for a date, you would arrive five minutes before and not, you know, on the right time. And the French would probably arrive 20 minutes late. Yes, yes. And <laughs> when I had my first meeting with someone from Billabong, because I was doing a freelance project for them, 
um, I was there five minutes to two, uh -huh. and my date arrived 20 minutes later. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> is, is that professional? No, it's not. <laughs> and uh, today, I would still say I, I wouldn't arrive 20 minutes late, but now I'm also five minutes late. Yeah, yeah that is absolutely okay. <laughs> a bit more laid back, yeah. In, in Provence, where I'm from, so this, yeah. this, they, they call it the quart d'heure provençal, so it means the quarter of an hour, the provençal quarter of an hour, which is just the sort of standard of delay yeah. that you're allowed uh, at a yeah, meeting. But it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's nice. Yeah. It doesn't, people are not that uh, rushed and uh, <laughs> not that stressed as yeah. in Germany. Absolutely. So how long did you surf whilst you were pregnant? I surfed until the end of the seventh month. Really? Uh, really. And I still remember the very last session because my husband, I think he was quite embarrassed already uh, a little bit because I was having such a big bump and people would stare at me and stare at him and <laughs> you would see in their faces that they would love to tell him, why are you taking your poor pregnant wife to, to go surfing? <laughs> and uh, it wasn't him, you know, it was me that really wanted to surf and that didn't want to stop. And I think I, I would have gone on uh, if it would have been summer, really? but it was in February. Yeah. And so it was getting colder and colder and, you know, with all the thick wetsuit and yeah. I didn't feel it anymore. But uh, yeah, I, I was surfing until the end of the seven months. As I sort of didn't never sort of surf pregnant that far on i was just wondering if the bump actually sort of prevents you from balancing on the board whilst you're paddling is that a is that a problem <laughs> no i didn't feel it like disturbing or something really? because uh, i was having a short board with a little bit of volume still in there so 510 like a wombat uh -huh. a short wombat board so it was a little bit in the water because i was so heavy so it was a little bit more in the water than usual so i didn't feel very uncomfortable it was just what i felt was getting more and more uncomfortable was pop up because i couldn't like really pop up with a lot of speed anymore mm. and so i wouldn't get a lot of waves anymore and uh, yeah that's yeah, some yeah. think that's <laughs> it's just too heavy and after the birth, how long did it take you to get back in the water? I would have loved to go uh, straight away, I think. <laughs> but the first time, it was six weeks after after giving birth. And I was still feeling so exhausted. I was still breastfeeding. And I was scared that the little one, you know, we went to the beach and was scared he would cry and starting to get hungry. And so I was really nervous during my session. Uh -huh. And I think I caught one wave and... <laughs> I was out of there, but it felt just so good to, to be alone in the water, you know, because the first weeks are quite intense with the yeah. baby. You're always there. You're always, you know, you're sleeping with the baby and everything. And it just felt really good to have that little moment of independency again yeah. and just do what you love. And even though I, I sected it at that day, it was just a really lucky moment. And I almost cried, I think. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, only the hormones. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and what would you recommend pregnant women to sort of handle in their pregnancy? What's your experience from that? I think it's really difficult to tell because every woman is different and every pregnancy is different. So I wasn't having a big bump and mm -hmm. I was really well trained. I was doing a lot of sports before and still doing during pregnancy. But I felt OK, you know, I was maybe a little bit more exhausted I wasn't sick. You know, I felt just all right. And it really depends on yourself. If you're scared, 
maybe you shouldn't do it. Yeah. I wasn't scared. I, I really had just a natural confidence that nothing would harm us. Mm -hmm. So it felt all right. But if you're scared and you're not sure, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. It always depends on, you know, yourself as, as an individual. Yeah. And you should just go with your feeling. Yeah. And then a few years later, you get to surf with your kids, which is just so exactly. fun. Exactly. <laughs> oh, he's becoming a chess player. You never know. <laughs> well, actually, I, I forced my kids. I forced them. They were excited, but I took them to surfing classes as an excuse to actually go surfing whilst they were sort of babysat in a surf class. So their weekly torture would be to actually get the wetsuit on and over their heads and, and whatnot, because that was really, really complicated for them. But I Otherwise, it was it was good fun, and they're both surfers, so it's I oh, cool. The, the, so you succeeded. Yeah, the legacy, the legacy remains. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to say, yeah, it's sometimes hard as a as a woman and a and a mother and a surfer to still follow your passion, but I think it's important to not lose that passion. Mm. I see some of my friends who became moms who gave up surfing because in the beginning it's a lot of organization you know you have to deal with your partner that's uh, you know you take turns and it's you go to the beach and you have a lot of stuff to carry yes. and it's very exhausting <laughs> and uh, but it's so much worth it because mm -hmm. if you give it up I see it now some of them are in their early 40s and they're starting to to get those midlife crisis and uh, you know they they don't have a hobby they don't have a passion anymore and they're just living for the kids and the family and i think it's it's important to not lose that yeah because it makes you happy and you should always remember how happy it made you and to continue with it and also later i think with your partner if you have a partner who's also a surfer that gives a great connection and yes. you're not i think it avoids losing yourself sometimes in life you know when you're together for a long time that happens often but uh, if you have something to share a passion to share and to spend time with your partner in, in the water going surfing that's awesome and yeah. uh, the same goes with your kid yeah yeah it really reconnects you with the basics <laughs> yeah Oh. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing this, Melanie. It's a lovely, lovely sort of talk about that. Um, I guess it's, uh, yeah, it's up to every woman to sort of decide when and how they get back into surfing. But yeah. going back to it is, sure. is really, really exciting, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering, so what are the plans for the future in terms of the book? Are you writing a second volume? We already did a second volume, but only in German, right. I have to say. We didn't do the English translation yet. Yeah, because uh, my son was born, we didn't have a lot of time. We found a translator, but it didn't work out. So we had to stick that one back a little mm -hmm. bit. But we're working on a new book at the moment, um, mm -hmm. not on the third part, mm -hmm. on a completely new book. I don't want to tell too much, but it has also something to do with surfing. So it's coming out next spring, hopefully. Fantastic. That's so exciting. Brilliant. And so um, just to, to sort of recap, how can we get hold of the book? And do you have any sort of social media accounts so that we can connect with you? You can get the book on our website, mm -hmm. surftripsurvivalguide.com. And we are also on social media. We are on Instagram, the Surf Trip Survival Guide, mm -hmm. and on Facebook. And yes, I think that's it. 
That's excellent. Well, we'll put all these details in the show notes and so the listeners can uh, check them online, either on their podcast app or on, on the website on the theoceanriderspodcast.com. Uh, Melanie, this has been a delightful conversation. I'm so happy to have met you and your book is a success and it's spreading all over the world. I would definitely encourage all the listeners to give it a, a read, to go and get it online. Thank you. Thank um, you very much, Amy. It was lovely talking to you. <laughs> it was lovely talking to you. Take care, Melanie. And Thank you. Greetings to you all your family. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was a delightful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it too. I love the way Melanie has kept surfing in her life since her baby was born and how she's keeping the stoke alive as a family. If you want to get hold of the Surf Trip Survival Guide, head over to surftripsurvivalguide.com or ask your favourite surf shop to stock it. You can also keep updated on Instagram and Facebook at the Surf Trip Survival Guide handle. All the information mentioned in this podcast is available on my website and in the show notes of this episode. Just check them out on your podcast app. On theoceanriderspodcast.com, you'll also find some great info and photos of my guests, so please don't hesitate to have a look. Links to it are in the show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, please share the love. You can tell your friends, family, fellow surfers in the lineup about the podcast. But if you want to do a bit more to support me, you can as well. I've created an online merch shop called theoceanridersshop.com and it's got a collection of t-shirts, sweatshirts, greeting cards and wall art for all types of budgets, tastes. So be sure to check them out on theoceanridersshop.com. Links to it either in the show notes or via my website, theoceanriderspodcast.com. All profits will go to paying for my awesome podcast editor, Leng, and 1% of the sales will automatically be donated to 1% for the planet. And this year, all my 1% proceeds are going to Wires New South Wales. It's a wildlife rescue organisation in Australia that's doing its best to save as many wild animals as possible in the heartbreaking Australian bushfires. Next episode is a conversation with a big wave riding pioneer. His name is Vincent Lartizian or Vincent L'Artisien with a French accent. So stay tuned for an epic conversation about surfing jaws in the 80s, running a hemp business and the spiritual side of surfing. Until next episode, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.